Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you will breathe upon it. Um, in, the, in the time that we have, Lord, let a spirit of brevity come upon me. Holy Spirit, speak your word. Uh, let our lives be transformed by what you're about to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, if you want the title for today's message, uh, uh, the title is The Destruction of Jericho, the, the destruction of Jericho. I would love to read, um, but I'm very conscious of time, I would have loved to read the sixth chapter of Joshua from verse 1 to at least verse 21. Um, but because I'm conscious of time, it's a story you all know, so allow me to paraphrase that story. Um, it's a story that we've been told from while we were in Sunday school. Who doesn't know the songs about the walls of Jericho came tumbling down? Um, and, and it's a story that is really immortalized for us as Christians. The children of Israel are journeying into God's promises. God has promised them this beautiful land that is flowing with milk and honey. Um, they cross the Jordan, the last barrier, and then they are on the plains of this promised land. They can see the land in the few, in the, in, ahead of them. And suddenly, they come across an obstacle. Uh, it's an obstacle that stands against God's promise to them. If they can't get through this obstacle, take this obstacle, they can't go into God's promises uh, for them. It's the city-state of Jericho. And because they have heard about the advance of the children of Israel, the king of that city-state, the rulers, have prepared for them. The Bible says that they have shut up Jericho, verse 1, because of the children of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Now Joshua understood the challenge that he was faced with. And like a good leader, uh, we found out last Sunday... Whilst everyone was in the camp, he was walking around this challenge, mulling over it. I am certain he was praying, God, how are you going to do this? He has an encounter with Christ who strengthens his hand. And then, he then God now speaks to Joshua uh, and says to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. And then he gives Joshua the instructions for taking Jericho. He says, you march around the city, all, all, all your men of war, once. You do this for six days. And then you have the seven priests carrying seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark as part of the team that is marching around. And then on the seventh day, you do what you have been doing once every six days for seven... You do that not, for, not, for, not once, but seven times. And then at the instruction... The priest will blow the trumpets, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, with a, a long blast of the trumpet, then you are to instruct the people to shout a great shout, and the wall 
of Jericho will come crashing down, and then the people can go in and take the city. That was the instruction. Joshua obeyed the instruction, and that's exactly what happened, what the Lord had said to him. Now, there are some serious life lessons that we learned from this, and I want to run through them very quickly. Uh, please just pay particular attention. This is life-defining, I believe, for you and for me. Of course, the first thing that we see is Jericho. The Bible says it's tightly shut up because of the children of Israel. No one goes in and no one comes out of it. And you know, I don't have to belabor that point. You understand what Jericho represents. It's a major obstacle in your path. It's something that will just not go away. It's something that dogs you, something that holds you back something that wants to prevent what God has promised from coming to pass in your life. It really is the, the thief of God's promise, and it's standing there before you, intimidating and telling you that what God said concerning you is not going to happen. And it wasn't a figment of their imagination. Jericho was very real. It stood in their way. It wanted to stop them from entering God's plans. It's the, Jericho is where there's, where there's a sign that says no vacancy, where there's a door that refuses to open, where there's a situation that refuses to conform to the Word of God. That is Jericho. Jericho is an intractable problem, an impregnable fortress in the way of what God has said concerning you. That is Jericho. Jericho is waiting for so long for something to come to pass to the point where hope deferred has started to make the heart sick. That is Jericho. Because you remember what God promised you, but it's years and years and years, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to change. That is Jericho. Tightly shut up. It wasn't, an, it wasn't their imagination. It was very real. These were real bricks. This was real mortar. These were real stones that stood in their way and that taunted them that what you have heard about the new is not going to come to pass in your life. The promise God made to you, forget it. It's not going to come to pass in your life. That was Jericho. And the Bible says Jericho was tightly shut up because of the children of Israel. So the reason Jericho was there was because of them. Because uh, the, the adversary of the children of Israel wanted to stop them. I want to say to you that your Jericho is there because of you. It, 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 the enemy has created it. The enemy has a hand in it. The enemy is orchestrating it. The thief is behind it. He wants to stop you from entering God's promises. And of course, the second thing, what happens when Jericho is there? Imagine the children of Israel as they, as they saw what was before them. The natural consequence of seeing that Jericho is that doubt sets in. And that's what happens with us. Our system has been trained to process things in that way. When we see it, we process it in our minds. And despite service after service and meeting after meeting and prayer meeting after prayer meeting, if we don't do something, doubt sets in. It's not going to happen. Have you not seen so-and-so? Have you not heard of so-and-so? How many testimonies do you hear like that? Haven't you looked at your biological clock? Don't you know what is going on? 
Can't you just accept where you are? Because doubt has set in. You see, because Jericho was not just any old wall. You know, when I did some research into Jericho, I was amazed at what I found out. Because growing up in church, I had always thought Jericho was one wall. And the pictures I saw made me think Jericho was one wall. Well, I found out that Jericho was actually surrounded by an embankment. And at the foot of that embankment, there was a stone retaining wall that was about 13 to 15 feet high. So that was the first wall at the foot of the embankment. And then on top of that retaining wall, there was another mud brick wall that was six feet in width and 26 feet high. So you had 13 to 15 feet. On top of that, you had a six foot wide wall that was 26 feet high. Now that wasn't the only wall, and don't forget it was an embankment. At the top of the embankment, and this is the one that terrified them, was a 46 foot wall that rose above the walls, the retaining wall that was built of rock and the mud wall. It was impossible to enter Jericho. If you managed to get over the retaining wall, because it was an embankment, a slippery slope, you couldn't get to the 46-foot wall. How would you even get over the 46-foot wall? It was impossible to breach the defenses of Jericho, humanly speaking. I can imagine them asking themselves, how are we going to do it? We don't have what it takes. What is God go how is God going to do it? And believe me, they must have been paralyzed by doubt. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He understands how the kingdom works. He understands that the currency of the kingdom is faith. And so he wants to attack that faith. And the way he attacks that faith is by introducing doubt. As Jesus says in Mark 11 verses 22 to 23... Let the faith of God be in you. And this is after they've seen the miracle of the fig tree that he cursed. Listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain with great faith and having no doubt, that's the challenge. The things, amazing things will happen if we speak with great faith and have no doubt. But then all the circumstances, the things we see with our eyes, the things we hear about the challenges, the difficulties, and the circumstances that we face are trying to sow seeds of doubt. And that's the challenge. Because Jesus says, if you say to this mountain, this mountain with great faith and no doubt, be, be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believe that what he says will happen, it will be done. And then he goes on in the next verse to lay, that, lay a foundation for prayer that would revolutionize the prayer of the church if we got it. He goes on to say in verse 24, this is the reason I urge you to boldly believe whatever you ask for in prayer. Prayer that is going to move mountains is prayer that is said from a position where the person saying it believes that what he's asking for is going to come to pass. And he believes it 
that this revival I'm asking for, it has to happen. He says, be convinced that you have received it and it will be yours. So a lot of times when we rise up from the place of prayer, we should rise up convinced that what we have asked for, we have already received it. And then it will be ours. Number three, God now says to, jo to Joshua, and this is crazy. He says to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho and all its rulers and mighty men of valor. Now, God, hang on a second. This is an impregnable fortress. We have no idea how to get it. It's real. If we touched it, we would be touching brick and mortar, stones, frankly. But God says, see, I have given it to you. Now, what is God saying? God is saying that you can choose to see it with your natural eyes, or you can see it with another set of eyes. What is God saying? He's reminding us that we actually have two sets of senses. We have our natural senses. We see with our natural eyes. We hear with our natural ears. But he's saying to us, you also have another set of senses that sadly are very undeveloped in a lot of the church. Hence, the church is not yet the overcoming church that it should be. So the bulk of the church sees a problem with their natural eyes and then tries to process it oftentimes with their natural senses. But even some who can try and process it spiritually, the, the, the process is already flawed because you see it with your natural eyes. You know, I love the story in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, verses 14 to 15. No time to read the story. Um, you know the story. The, the man of God has become a pain to the king of Syria. So the king of Syria sends his best best of his forces. I assume that would have been the SAS or the Green Berets or the Navy SEALs. These are guys who are his best of his forces. He says, go and get me that guy, that prophet. He's messing my whole life up. I say something in my room, he seems to know it. I think we better arrest him. They arrive at night and they surround the, 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 the abode of the man of God who's on an assignment for God. And when, the, when, when, when his servant wakes up in the morning, and of course, I'm sure the master is talking to God. The servant wakes up. The servant goes out and sees the enemy that has surrounded them. It's a hopeless situation. He actually sees them. It's a fact. With his natural eyes, if you gave him time, he, could he would have been able to count how many of these special forces had come to pick up his master. He runs back to his master in panic. And what, is his, what, what does he say to his master? What do we do? Why is he saying, what do we do? His mind has processed the large numbers of special forces on chariots and, uh, and horses. And so he, his mind has told him, it is over. We are finished. But then his master answers him and says, don't be afraid. Lord of mercy. Those who are for us are more than those who are against us. Hang on a second. What are you saying? Who's for us? Me and you 
and, and hundreds, thousands maybe of soldiers. But the master had looked, not with the natural eyes, but with the spiritual eyes, the eyes of his spirit man. And he had seen that those who are here to defend us are more than those who have come to take us. And then the master prayed. And this is, this is the prayer. The master prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Hang on a second. His eyes are open. That's how he saw the enemy. But what's the master saying? The eyes of his spirit man are so undeveloped that he has not seen the real world. May your eyes be open to see the real world. It makes a material difference. And so his eyes are open and he looks. Now he's now not seen with his natural eyes. He's seen with the eyes of his spirit man. And he suddenly sees that between him and his master and the enemy forces, there is another force. And these are so deadly because they are not just horses and chariots. They are horses and chariots of fire that have formed a, protection, a protective ring around the man. So God said to Joshua, see. What was God saying to Joshua? He was saying, forget what you see in the natural. I want you to see with your spirit man. What was he saying? See as I see. And how do we see? Because that's the challenge. The, the eyesight of the spirit man for a lot, of, a lot of the church is so undeveloped. So how do we develop it? It's a sermon for another day. But there are two things that help us develop the eyesight of the spirit man. Number one, the word of God. And God has made it easy. You know, we say to God, I can't see. God says, okay, I will paint the picture for you. So all you have to do is read it. Whatever it says, that's what it is. See the word. And the second way we see is by the Spirit. Because the Spirit breathes upon the Word and reveals the Word to us. And then the Spirit brings revelations that show us things that are in that world that are more, that have more, that are more real than the things that we face in this world. Number four. God now gives them instructions, strange instructions. March around the city once every day for six days. Carry the ark, get the priests, and then on the seventh day, march around. And at the seventh march, listen for a loud trumpet blast from the ram's horns, and then shout, what a crazy instruction to give to take a city. God, we are talking about a wall. Frankly, two walls. We are talking about trying to climb up a slippery embankment. What does marching around have to do with that? But we miss a point. The point we miss is that God had already telegraphed to us that this is the pattern of the kingdom. When God wants to do the most amazing and miraculous things, 
there generally is uh, instructions that don't usually make sense naturally. You all remember, because it's a story we know, it was where the first miracle was performed, Cana in Galilee. And Jesus was there, invited to a wedding, John the second chapter, verses 1 to 5. And when he arrived at the wedding, a Jericho situation arose. The family had run out of wine. Now, you and I might think that's not a major issue. In those days, it was a calamity. The family's honor was destroyed. Their reputation was gone. They would become the topic of gossip. Nobody else would want to marry into that family that could not provide wine on the day of the wedding. It was a crisis, but Jesus was there. And then Jesus' mother, who knew who he was, says to him, they have no wine. Jesus says to her, why are you putting me under pressure? According to the timetable of heaven, I'm not supposed to do anything yet. The time my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. She knew her son. She knew that his hour might not yet have come. But where there is a demand on grace, for his grace, for mercy, for his intervention, for his compassion. She knew that he could not restrain himself. He would send a message to God in heaven to say, I know my hour has not yet come, but someone here needs an intervention. The compassion in me can't sit down here while this family gets their, their, gets, finds themselves in dishonor. So God, permit me to step out of the timing and to do this and come back into the timing. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't died for you and I. How much more today will he not come when we call to him? When he, then he was restrained by the timing of heaven, but he got permission to step out of the timing of heaven. I will come back into the timing, but someone needs me. I want to say to you that the God that we serve, when we cry out, he has to answer that cry. Bartimaeus cried out, he stopped in his tracks. If you're crying out and it's genuine and sincere, the God we serve has to answer that cry. That's one of the things. I'm telling you when I say I love God because God cannot but respond to a cry of mercy. And then he gives them a strange instruction. I mean, come on, Jesus. If you want to turn it, solve the problem, solve the problem. What's this strange instruction? Go to the water pots that they wash their hands in it's already contaminated. It's dirty. Draw the water and take it to the master of ceremony. You want to kill me? The master of ceremony is going to think we're nuts. As they, but Jesus' mother said, just do whatever he says. Can I be Jesus' mother in your life today? Just do whatever he says. And so they do it. They draw the water and they take it to the master of ceremony. How do you think they felt? Foolish? Stupid? Asking themselves questions? Of course. When they get there and they give it to the master of ceremony, he has no idea what, what they've given him. He drinks it. <laughs> what do you think they felt? They would have been holding their breath. And when he drinks it, he smacks his lips. Mm, 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 
then he says, where did you get this wine? Don't forget, he's an expert in wines. That's what he does for a living. He says, this is the best wine in the whole of Canaan, of Galilee. I was at the Adedoin's wedding. And their wine was good. But it wasn't like this wine. I was at the Rocheway wedding. They gave us good wine. But this is serious. And then I was at the wedding of... They gave us terrible wine there. The nasty wine. But this wine is first class. Where did you get it? It's the principle of the kingdom. The same thing for the people of Jericho. Three things God always asks. His instructions when he's going to do something amazing, there are three things he's going to ask for you. Number one is obedience. Obey. March around the wall. It doesn't make sense, Lord. But if you say I should, I will. Give the, give the water to the master of ceremony. doesn't make sense, Lord, but I will. The second thing he will ask is diligence. You know, the enemy has hit the church bad. He has tried to convince us that we can enter the blessings of God and not be diligent. No, march around every day for six days. That's some diligence. On the seventh day, march around seven times. This wasn't march around 10 meters. This was march around a massive city-state. It took some doing, but they were diligent in it. And heaven is watching to see how diligent we are in the new. And the last thing that he always asks is dedication. You've got to be dedicated to it. Listen to the instruction in Joshua 6 verse 10. You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say you should shout, then you shall shout. We forget that. He told them, zip your lip. Too much talking is dissipating the unction and anointing of God. Too much talking. You don't have to answer everything. Some things, okay, it doesn't matter. God is working it out. I don't have to explain it to you. Thousands of, of, of men. A whole camp. The instruction was not one word. And I also think why he said not one word was don't speak your doubt and come and mess up what God is doing. Don't speak your doubt. A lot of times God wants to move, but because words are weighty with God, we, we inadvertently cancel what God wants to do by speaking our doubts. So if you can't say anything that's going to help the cause, say nothing. Number five. God help me with time. The wall fell down flat. <laughs> Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. 
Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They shouted. It wasn't that the wall collapsed in parts. It was that the wall literally caved in at the shout. I hear God saying to me, somebody, to say to someone, that challenge is caving in. When something caves in like that, you can't explain how it happened. It just buckles, crumbles. But it wasn't just that it caved in. Hear me. He says the people went in straight, which means that there were no obstacles in their way. <laughs> Hear me. Which means that it didn't just cave in and create rocks, boulder, boulders for them to climb over. No, 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 no. When it fell, the entire wall crumbled and created a pathway. God gave us a word, I will make a way in the wilderness. It's a way in the wilderness. He is doing what he has always done. He's not just drying the Red Sea. He's, drying, he's not just patting the Red Sea. He's drying the ground to make sure that you walk through the Red Sea and you don't get mud on your feet. That's the God that we serve. He's doing more than you and I are asking. That's why I say I love God. The wall collapsed and literally boulders became like dust. I say to someone, that rock in front of you is going to become like dust so that you can go in straight. There's no obstruction because the wall has literally disappeared. I don't think somebody understood me. I say Jericho is disappearing. And someone's testimony is going to be like the children of Israel, Psalms 126, verses 1 to 3. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. That's what somebody's going to say. It was like a dream come. You know, when God causes Jericho to crash, we will have to be saying to you, can you remember? And you'll be saying, you know what? I've actually forgotten. Because God has done such a perfect job that there are no boulders left. And he says, we laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in saying, the Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. That's going to be your testimony. Number six, as we come towards the end. Number six. <laughs> All the time I read this story, I missed what I'm about to, to, to share with you. Last night, God shared it with me. Incidentally, Pastor Gandhi is preaching this same message. I hope I'm not going to mess it up for his church, in his church, because last night we were like kids in a candy store. We were going back and forth. And he was saying, man, he looked with this Bible. And I said to him, have you seen this? 
He said, this Bible. He said, have you seen this? I said, this Bible. He said, this Jericho story. This is amazing. And he had notes out. I had notes out. And we're going back and forth. My wife was, 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 was ironing and she must have just had a smile on her face. That These people are just like children. We were like children. God is amazing. And after we had dropped the phone, I was reading the story, and the Spirit of God said to me, you missed one thing. I said, what did, what's that? He says, the ark. I said, what happened to the ark? He said, read the story. I read the story. Of course, I knew the ark went with them. But as I read the story, it dawned on me, hang on a second. This whole story is about the ark. Because before they started going around, the night before, God had told Joshua, take the ark alone, just the ark, and encircle the city with the ark. The Bible says that. Joshua 6, verse 11. They had the ark circle the city, going round once. Then they came back to the camp and lodged in the camp. What, was, what is the ark symbolic of? The presence of God. What was God saying? Let me go first and sort it out. Before they come to Bora and start marching around, take me round, take me round, take me round. I want to say to you that God, if he said it, he has already gone ahead of you. And so the next day, the instruction came. Verse 12, and Joshua rose up early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. But he wasn't going around it for the first time. God had already gone and sorted it out. I'm sure you know that if they didn't have the ark with them, they could have shouted all they wanted. That wall was not going to come down. Frankly, they could have got battering rams and rammed the wall. The wall would not come down. The wall came down, not because of their shouting, not because of their strategies, not because of their skill. The wall came down because the ark of God was involved. What does that tell us? That we have to find the presence of God and carry the presence of God. If you understand this, you will cherish the presence of God. You will not abuse the presence of God. You see, you can't have your cake and eat it with the kingdom of God. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't demarcate in the kingdom of God. You can't hope the presence will be with you when you haven't submitted your entire life to the Spirit of God. It doesn't work like that. You can't be with the boyfriend at night and both of you are romping around and then you hope that in three days' time you can call on the presence and the presence will come. No, the presence does not go into certain things. It's the holy presence. So wherever you can't take the presence, if you really want the presence, the ark to be with you, you don't go there. Because the presence, the ark, is the key thing. And lastly, I wanted, to, I wanted to stay on the presence a bit, but I'm conscious of time. I've already taken four minutes of, their time, of the time. Lastly, as I end, the seventh thing. <laughs> when it had all happened, Joshua now did a strange thing. He placed a curse on anyone who tries to build Jericho again. Verse 26. Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. 
He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Exactly what he said happened. Now, a lot of times when we read that, we think the focus is that some guy actually built Jericho again. That's not the focus. What God was trying to get us to understand was the power in a curse that is pronounced by God. Because if you look at 1 Kings 16 verse 34, in Ahab's time, evil reached unprecedented proportions. And this was the highlight of the evil. That the thing that Joshua had said, if it happens, these are the consequences. A guy called Hiel of Bethel decided, I'm going to rebuild Jericho. He laid the foundations. His son Abiram died as soon as he laid the foundations. He set up the gates. His youngest son, Segob, died. And the Bible says, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, I know some people's religion might say, but what's all this stuff about cursing? Yes. It's a major part of our faith that we can pronounce by the Spirit of God a curse on something that is not God, that has its roots in the kingdom of darkness. We can do that. We do it by the Spirit of God. How do I know? Because Jesus sets an example. You know the story about the fig tree. He comes across the fig tree, and the fig tree does not have figs. And he makes a pronouncement. Let no one, verse 14, eat fruit from you ever again. What was Jesus saying? It's over. And the disciples heard it, the Bible said. They were about to get a lesson in what the faith of God can do. Words are powerful. And so if you fast forward, no, no time to read to verses 20 to 21. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jericho, in the next week, is destroyed. I pronounce a curse on every form of sickness and disease. I declare sickness and disease in your life cursed in the name of Jesus. It must wither. I speak directly to specific forms of sickness and disease. I address cancer and I declare cancer in the name of the Lord I serve. You are cursed. I curse every root of fear in your life. By this curse, I declare that the root of fear dries up in your life in the name of Jesus. I curse every root of anxiety and worry in your life. I curse all the barrenness and its expressions in the name of Jesus. I curse the root of unfruitfulness in your life and your family in the name of Jesus. 
I curse anything that is trying to attack your mental well-being. Every spirit on assignment, every thought of the enemy, it has a root cause. And I go to the root and I curse it like the fig tree, it must wither and die. I curse the foundation of every obstruction to God's promise in your life. This day, the 1st of August, as a servant of God, I pronounce a curse on that foundation. It has to obey the voice of God. I speak as an oracle of God. I speak as the shepherd of this house. I speak as the leader of this movement. And I curse that foundation. It has to crack. It is destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. I curse those spirits that are trying to restrain you. I curse them. I pronounce the a curse of God on them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. And as I end, if there's anyone who hasn't accepted this wonderful Lord and Savior as their Lord and Savior. What else can I say? Just, just wish you would open up your heart and do so. It's a good God. It's a good God. I curse poverty. I curse poverty. It's not, it's not your portion. It's not your portion. Now, I'm not preaching all this nonsense that says everybody's going to be a billionaire and all that nonsense. No. But surely, the word of God must come to pass in your life. That your needs are met and you have a surplus to abound to good works. I declare by the power of the living God that that is your testimony. And anything that is seeking to hold you back and stop you from being a blessing to the kingdom and a blessing to the work of the Lord and a blessing to others, I curse it in the name of Jesus. You want to give your life to Christ? He's knocking on the door of your heart. I, I pray you will open the door and let him in. And if you want to do so, why don't you say the simple prayer with me? Father, we just thank you and bless you. We accept I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I open the door of my heart for him. I make a commitment that I will be dedicated to you, obedient to you. That I will be diligent in the things of your kingdom. I will turn away from every sin as I embrace you. Thank you for receiving me into your family. I, I know that today I am now a child of yours, born into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.